You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Detroit taxpayers leave up to $80 million unclaimed each year when they do their taxes. That's just the money low-income families can claim through the federal earned income tax credit. Now, Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan, the United Way, and other organizations are reaching out to those families to make sure they know about these credits. Michigan's version of the EITC has been, during Rick Snyder's administration, a hot-button budget negotiating point. It was scaled back early in Snyder's tenure. Here to discuss the importance of the EITC and the lives of many people in our region are Lisa Howes. She is the Chief Government Affairs Officer for the City of Detroit, and Gilda Jacobs is the Executive Director of the Michigan League for Public Policy. Lisa and Gilda, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you Great so much. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, I'll start with you. Uh, th- that's a lot of money, $80 million that goes unclaimed. And what that means really is that uh, people who are working, A, uh, but also still living in poverty, uh, end up then with less than they are actually entitled to have, uh, which I would imagine puts strain then on other parts of the anti-poverty efforts. Uh, Their needs don't go away just because that $80 million is not uh, addressing them. Yeah, this is why it's become an imperative for our administration for the Duggan administration to make sure Detroit residents are aware of the EITC and that there is available free tax assistance to help them to get it. And so what is it that is it that people just don't know about this credit is or that they don't understand how they are to sort of claim that money? Well, there are a great number of people who do know. So the IRS has reported that more than $300 million has gone to uh, Detroit households that are taking advantage of the EITC. What we're focusing in on is that 20% who get left out. And so it could be the single individual who may feel that they're not required to uh, file a return because they only made a little money or they worked part-time in 2016. But that person earning anywhere from, let's say, 6000 to $9,000 last year could get back $500. Yeah. So if yeah. you multiply that by the number of residents that may fall into that category, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gilda, at the state level, this issue has, as I said in the open, been around for, for a long time. And we've had a real argument about it in the last six years uh, because of what Governor Snyder uh, did. Talk about the effect now that we've seen, though, over that six years since we reduced the credit. Uh, by now, we should be able to, to assess what, what effect that's had on people's well, lives. You know, the effect is the fact that there's less money in people's pockets. Um, just to go back in history a little bit, when the EITC was passed in Michigan, uh, it was passed at 10% of the federal EITC and then jumped to 20% a couple of years later. When Governor Snyder came uh, into office, he had this big tax reform package. And as part of that, he actually wanted to get rid of the EITC. And there was a huge coalition and a really big outcry because of the importance of this, uh, this tax credit. So instead of it being eliminated, it was pushed down to 6%. Now, the good news is 
we, we didn't get rid of it because yeah. you know when you know we all know when you get rid of something it's really hard to get back uh, ever on the books back, and, yeah. and Lisa certainly under, understands <laughs> that as well. But the fact is that it is really a very important credit to to people's lives. So it went from an average of uh, four hundred and forty six dollars for state EITC. We're not even talking you know what what the the federal EITC is down to about one hundred and forty three dollars. So you know grateful for the one forty three. But you know here's a time now where things are actually you know better and. In the state, uh, we should really look at going back and trying to to restore um, uh, to restore those dollars. Yeah. Uh, and it, as you said, it was part of negotiating. You know, it even became part of the road funding conversation a while I remember a while that. back. The ballot proposal actually put it back in, and then um, some of the other. Um, machinations when that didn't work uh, trying to figure out it how to pay out. for the road yeah. program you know that was a conversation then yeah. uh, you know I remember when uh, the governor was talking about this and and uh, he and I actually had several conversations about this it was early in the term uh, what he kept saying that that was uh, it was maddening uh, he kept saying that it was okay to to lower the state EITC because that wasn't the incentive that people were really driven by that uh, that the federal uh, EITC, which was much larger, was the reason that uh, that that people, for instance, uh, were were holding jobs. You, know, you have to have a job in order to claim the credit. Right. Uh, but that, of course, completely ignores the need side of this. That sure. that whether uh, whether they're doing it for one or the other. Uh, these are people who, you know, are making choices between sometimes, you know, food or housing or Absolutely. medicine or housing. I mean, the the, the level of uh, poverty and the strain that that poverty puts on people's lives, I think, was really lost in that in that conversation. And you know, I I haven't actually had this conversation with the administration recently, but. Um I I think the governor has actually warmed up to the idea of the EITC. Yeah. Uh, quite honestly, I mean, I think you know, actually, even if you look at the budget that that came through, I mean, there's w- way more of attention to people who are struggling in our state. So, um, you know, this was not put in you know the the current budget. <laughs> um, so that's all that's all very good. Yeah, uh, Lisa, your 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 job is uh, to to. Lobby uh, in, in on behalf of the city of Detroit in Lansing, um, among other places. Uh, talk about when you go and talk to people like the governor, like the legislators, about the problems we still have with with deep entrenched poverty in the city. Kind of response you get uh, to to the understanding of what that looks like and what it looks like from a governance standpoint here uh, in the city of Detroit. I mean, the policy issues that are made and set at the state level clearly impact the way people live their lives. And so with this initiative and what we've decided to do at the city level, the local level, is try to assist people in getting this credit back. Because, number one, this means the difference in someone being able to stay in their home, which is something that we fought for in Lansing in terms of foreclosure prevention. Um, So this is the difference of someone being able to pay their utilities, which there are a number of state programs like LIFEI that assist homeowners or residents with their home heating uh, bills. So we wanted to make sure that, number one, through our partnership with the County Aid Society, which provides the free tax assistance um, and have been doing so for the last 45 years, that Detroiters have more access to the resources or the programs that are available to them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Lisa Howes. She's the Chief Government Affairs Officer for the City of Detroit. And Gilda Jacobs is the Executive Director of the Michigan League for Public Policy. We are talking about the Earned Income Tax Credit, $80 million unclaimed every year in the city of Detroit uh, when people do their taxes. People who are working have jobs uh, but also qualify for government assistance. They are not claiming all of that assistance that they're eligible for. We're also talking more generally about the EITC. What is the government's responsibility to help or support poor people? Are there certain programs you think the government shouldn't offer? Uh, Income tax credits, food stamps, Medicaid. Uh, Or is there room for expansion of government assistance for those among us who are unable to do everything for themselves? 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. Talk to me about what you think the government role is in anti-poverty efforts. Does the government have an obligation to help out those with uh, with less among us, uh, or do you want to see the government sort of get out of that business? Uh, a lot of talk in Lansing uh, since uh, since 2010, and probably lo- longer than that, about scaling back the efforts that government makes to make life a little easier for the poor among us. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Gilda, uh, you mentioned earlier the budget that uh, the governor uh, put out yesterday. Talk from a, a, an anti-poverty perspective about what that budget looks like there uh, were lots of really good things yeah. that we were that we were celebrating there was more money for the clothing allowance for uh for low-income kids um money more money to go to the schools um more money for at-risk funding that was a really important thing because um, those of us you know in the field understand that kids that are in poverty do need more assistance and money does make a difference in those programs. So putting more money into that, more money for uh, uh, child care, uh, lots of different um, uh, lots of different areas in terms of child care. Mm-hmm. He, those are really, really, really important kinds of things. So we were really pleased to see um, the governor you know, cared a lot about that. And probably the most important thing that wasn't in his budget was a rollback of was the more cuts. tax. Yeah. <laughs> no more cuts. And yeah. um, I think that is really, really important to, to note because there are uh, some proposals now that are seriously being floated in, in Lansing uh, to, one, to repeal the, the state income tax, which I doubt will really go anyplace, yeah. but others to, uh, to roll it back over a period of years. Yeah, and and uh, you know that proposal to to get I agree with you the proposal to get rid of it probably doesn't have much chance, but it's one of those it's one of the examples of the way that the Republican caucus uh, tries to govern. I mean, they put something out there that's so extreme, uh, and then that becomes the baseline for the rest of the conversations, and then you end up counting as a win. Uh, <laughs> things that you're are you're right, just, that's right. they're right. only what a mildly strategy, right <laughs> they're only mildly nuts uh, you know uh, like uh, you know cutting the income tax in half for instance would mm-hmm. be just as bad in my view sure. without replacing uh, the revenue it, it, it does seem like those those of us who care about what government's role is in uh, people's lives 
uh, are often on the ropes uh, in those conversations uh, right. because of those those extreme positions. <laughs> yeah, that's good, <laughs> right. That's a good assessment. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number to uh, join the conversation. Again, that's three one three. Five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation if we can. Go ahead, Zilla. So, so what I wanted to do is also make a, another really important point about um, the uh, the EITC. So if you look at 2015, just under 800,000 people uh, received the EITC in Michigan. And what that meant was that $2 billion, $2 billion went back into our local communities. Uh-huh. And that is a huge economic boost yes. to communities because people take that money and they use it to to buy food, to buy shoes for their kids, to catch up on their rent, catch up on their utility bills. Um, so, you know, it is really a significant economic force yeah. in the state as well. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you feel like that with the governor's budget, we are getting back to – where we were, or are we making sort of progress overall well, in, in absolute terms? I, I think we are making progress. Look, we still need, to, you know, to to having more money, you know, into education. We have to. Our infrastructure needs are still so huge, uh, and I was really glad also to see that there was more money that was being put into Flint as well, and, and mm-hmm. some of the problems yet uh, are going to persist there for for generations to come. But yeah. I think, you know, I think that. You know, taking a look at saying, look, we have uh, some surplus, you know, one, putting money into a rainy day fund is probably not a terrible, a terribly bad idea <laughs> um, because bad things happen. And Flint is like the perfect example. So you do need to yeah. have money available there when, when you know, there's the sinkhole in Fraser, another, you know, sure. another example. I mean, we're starting to see outside the context of uh, the, the absolute poorest people that there are consequences when you don't have government doing its job exactly and you know there's there's lead pipes in lots of rural areas as well we're not just talking you know urban old urban areas yeah uh uh, let's go to the phones here angela in detroit welcome to detroit today hi thank Uh you yeah um i'm thinking very practically one of the things that's probably true is that the folk who have earned this money and don't know about it are not listening to this radio station. And I'm right. suggesting that's an interesting that point. whoever... Pardon? That's an interesting point. Uh, go well, ahead. Well, it's just practical. Yeah. Um, so if the radio stations that are very popular among people that don't have very much money could be alerted to this possibility, that would be uh, a way to get the word out. <laughs> and the other way would be to contact pastors of the churches that folk go to and um, ask them to get this out there. Sure. Right. That's where the people are. That's where you make the noise. Yeah, Angela, great point, uh, and I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you called in and made it. Uh, Lisa, that, that I, I would imagine that your outreach uh, extends beyond the bounds of this, this radio program. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, this is a program that um, works through word of mouth. 
Uh, there are people who are well beyond the income levels that we're talking about here. You know, the person who's eligible for uh, the EITC earns less than $54,000 if you're married with three children or less than $47,000 if you're single with three children. And so if you're blessed to be beyond that point, um, your duty and responsibility is to help to inform others uh, that they could possibly qualify. Yeah. Our efforts have included outreach to pastors of various churches throughout the city of Detroit. We have billboards uh, that up that are up and around in various neighborhoods throughout the city of Detroit. We even have extended our reach to a number of community partners who are able to provide uh, what's called a drop and go service, whereby if I'm going to my health and human services organization on a regular basis, this is a place where I've developed a level of trust and a level of comfort. So I can have my tax information scanned in at their site. And then it would get transferred over to a hub site where volunteers would come and actually prepare the taxes. So yeah. this is significant, a significant volunteer effort. So when you talk about people in the metro Detroit area chipping in, contributing to this effort, a county aid society has the most volunteers this year than they've had in any prior year. Yeah. And what we want to urge them to do is to make sure they sign up to volunteer at one of the Detroit tax sites so that our residents benefit from the EITC. Yeah, uh, I would imagine that, you know, one of the things I noticed about the city over the last few years in particular is, you know, great things going on downtown and midtown, no question. We're all really excited about that. But in the neighborhoods where where you grew up, Lisa, places mm -hmm. that I'm from here in the city, uh, Gilda, you also are a Detroiter, <laughs> right? You still live uh, in that neighborhood, Lisa. I know you still live in the house where you grew up. Isn't that right? No, no. no I've, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm originally a West Sider, right. as they say, but I moved east about 17 years ago and I'm still in that home. In that house, okay. So I'm a Detroiter okay. through yeah. and through. Yeah. But I mean, you, you notice in these neighborhoods that the for me, the sort of face of poverty has changed, or say, I, I should say maybe the dynamics that surround poverty have changed in the city uh, in recent years. I mean, there there are new kinds of dynamics that I'm noticing that we didn't have before, and one of them is isolation. I mean, the level of isolation, the way that poor people in the city are disconnected, uh, not just from the rest of the city, but from the services that uh, would would help them either uh, get through or, or get to a better space. It, it's really difficult. And so I would imagine that that also then makes it difficult when you are trying to, to reach them about, you know, things that would help. Uh, that disconnect, that isolation, I think, sort of piles on to that to that problem. I mean, a good part of that where we as a, um, a local government try to assist is through transportation. Right. In order to get access to the various services uh, that are available, gotta be able to get people got to be able to get yeah. there. And so, you know, we have done an excellent job, uh, we believe, uh, over the last several years in improving our um, bus transportation here in the city of Detroit, adding new routes, um, adding 24 hour service to a number of our major routes uh, and making sure that residents get access to the places that they need to get to. So in this case, it's free tax assistance. Uh, a number of the locations that are available are right along. Long, 
the bus line and uh, County Aid Society has been very instrumental in making sure that that is the case because they recognize uh, the importance of accessibility to these types of services. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. You can go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, all right, Lisa House, uh, thank you very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you so much, Stephen. All right, we're going to take a break, and Gilda Jacobs, you're going to stick around for the next segment, where we're going to continue the conversation about poverty and government inter- intervention. What is the role of the state government? What's the role of the federal government? What will that look like under a, an administration of Donald Trump? We'll talk about it next on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Gilda Jacobs. She's the executive director of the Michigan League for Public Policy, and we are talking about the role that the government plays or can play in anti-poverty efforts. Uh, Last segment, we were talking about the earned income tax credit, Uh, the fact that uh, $80 million in unclaimed tax credits are present here in the city of Detroit. Poor people who work uh, are eligible for that EITC, and many of them are not claiming that money on their taxes in the city of Detroit. I want to turn the conversation now to more sort of general discussion of uh, government anti-poverty efforts, uh, talking about uh, our state government here in Michigan, and of course, the federal government, where Donald Trump is taking over as president and probably uh, intends to change dramatically the way uh, that the government deals with these issues. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Tell me what role you think the government ought to be playing in anti-poverty efforts. Do you think we need to expand uh, programs like Medicaid and uh, Medicare? Uh, Do you think we need to expand programs like the earned income tax credit? Uh, Think of the other things that we do to make sure that those who don't have as much as others uh, still have uh, just a sort of minimum baseline of uh, access to services and things like that in this in this country. Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. Uh, Gilda, let's start with the discussion of the last six years under Governor Snyder. We talked in the last segment about some of the things that he changed when he came into office. What effect have we seen on poverty in Michigan over that six years? We talk a lot in Michigan about the progress we've made. No question. More people are working. Uh, The economy here is better than it was when he took over. But often that's true or that can happen without uh, having a tremendous benefit for the people at the lowest end of the economic scale. So give us a a quick picture of what that's looked like. So a lot of the comeback in Michigan is really due to the auto industry rebounding. Yes. Um, We will never, ever uh, be able to make up for the hundreds 
and hundreds of thousands of jobs that were lost. Right. So even though we've done really well trying to capture some of those new jobs, there are still people who lost their jobs who probably still don't have the skills to, to upskill to be ready to have the, the new kinds of jobs they're in manufacturing right now because it's been a game changer yeah. no, no matter what. The problem is, yeah, there are a lot more jobs and we have a lot more people working, but they're still working at jobs that are not paying them enough money to support their families, or they're working two or three jobs to support their families. You know, to me, if you are working 40, 50 hours a week, you should be able to be able to support your family and not have to rely on uh, on any kind of public assistance. So we really need to take a look at, you know, are those jobs uh, paying paying the wages that yeah. people need to to really make ends meet. Unfortunately, child poverty is still way 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 too high, and if child poverty is clearly related to their parents' poverty. Yeah. So uh, we we feel that there needs to be what we call a two generation or multi generational approach to all the programs that we do. While we want to help kids, we also want to help their parents at the same time because the best way to get kids out of poverty is make sure their parents are, are out of poverty. EITC is one of those programs that works. Uh, there has been a, a raise of, uh, in the minimum wage. Uh, it's being ratcheted up. It's still not there. And again, you know, somebody jokingly said, yeah, I know there are lots of jobs in Michigan. I have three of them. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's not a joke. I mean, you really do have people that are, are, are working, you know, 14 hours a day uh, and there's little time left for them to spend time with their their families. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's a narrative that I think uh, takes hold nas- nationally that uh, people are working harder but making less and and uh, that that is forcing more people into technical poverty. I mean, mm-hmm. more people qualify for those uh, those those thresholds that uh, that, right. that get set at the state and, and federal level because uh, their their wages just aren't keeping yeah. pace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number to join the conversation. Uh, I'm talking with Gilda Jacobs, executive director of the Michigan League for Public Policy. We're talking about uh, poverty, poverty, uh, the the role that the government plays, state and national, uh, in dealing with poverty. Uh, Gilda, let's talk some about the, the administration of Donald Trump, uh, which. Uh, uh, you know, is, uh, poverty is something. Uh, let, let's start with the idea that this is a president who, during the campaign, said some things about poverty, said some things about particularly urban poverty uh, that we don't often hear uh, during presidential campaigns. We don't hear people um, really talk about those things in presidential campaigns a whole lot in terms of what they might do. Now, he wasn't very specific about what he might do. To make people's lives a little, a little more filled with uh, opportunity, I guess is the way to, to put it. But but from your chair, give me a sort of uh, brief overview of what you think uh, um, uh, what what you think we can expect from this administration. Well, I think we can focus on health care. I think that's really one of the the, the big items. So uh, the president uh, campaigned on getting rid of Obamacare. Hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people <laughs> that Would actually suffer, yeah. um, actually are, are taking advantage of Obamacare, are using Obamacare. It did not connect the dots between their health care and, um, and you know and, and what would happen uh, if if and when the president was elected, which has happened now. 
And we just don't know what that you know repeal and replace is going to look like. We know in Michigan, Michigan has really been a model state. Um, uh, if you take a look at uh, Medicaid expansion in our state, like 600,000 people, you know, low-income people yeah. now have health insurance. The fact is those needs of those people do not go away. They're going to be here whether you repeal or you don't repeal. Yeah. Um, well, and it's, it's a question of how you want to pay for it, those it, things, know, it, right? Exactly. And that was not what the discussion was. It was just said, you know, this is bad. We're going to get rid of this. If you take a look in Michigan, for example, we already – it was it was successful. It's been successful here. We have like something like three hundred million dollars in uncompensated care mm-hmm. uh, savings. I mean, that's huge. You know, the governor, you know, he he's a you know a guy that understands the bottom line. So we're hopeful that the message that you know that that our governor has taken to to D.C. is is going to resound with with legislators to say you, you know you can't do this because in the end states are going to have to figure out a way to help pay for for people anyways we're going to go back to having everybody going to emergency rooms that is not um that is not a method of of health care that works and it's very very expensive and the whole issue of block grants i think is something that that we that we uh need to to uh to address mm-hmm. um you know, one of the things that the Trump administration and a lot of conservative legislators want to do is turn more and more over to the states. Yes. And when that happens, you have a lot of states where uh, the legislators want to starve the beast. They want smaller government. Right. Black grants um, uh, generally do not have any inflationary um, measures in them. So, you know, you give X millions of billions of whatever dollars, let's say, for uh, for health care. And, you know, we know that the cost of health care, for example, continues to go up. So where's that extra money going to come from? The states are going to either have to find more money in their budget or it's not going to happen. And you're going to have to cut back services. And then then there's that that human toll, you know, who is going to be negatively impacted by that? Yeah. Uh, Federal education dollars right, as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you provide again? How do you provide opportunity for people? And that's one of the sort of disconnects in this conversation. Um, you know, we've heard on the program since the election from people who voted for Donald Trump, uh, for instance, who've said uh, that it's it's not that they it's not that they're callous about poverty. Uh, or people in poverty, it's that they they themselves don't want handouts, that mm-hmm. they want to be able to earn uh, a living. And so they may have voted for Donald Trump thinking, yeah, he yeah. will give me that opportunity uh, even if he's taking away these programs that uh, that I may um, that I may rely on. But nobody wants their Medicare changed. They yeah. don't want their Social Security <laughs> sure. changed. Um you know, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there, there, there is. They don't want their their veterans benefits. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of play in the joints in between those two positions, Absolutely. right? And and there's a lot of suffering. I think that people would endure if Donald Trump did the things that he said he wanted to do without providing immediate, you know, chances or opportunities for people to do on their own, which d- it, it doesn't ever happen that way. All right. Again, 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. Megan in Ferndale, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Good morning. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Good. Um, Yeah, I was just, two things really I was calling in about. um, Well, number one, uh, I I think that 
there seems to be, in, in my humble opinion, um, a lack of discussion about ways to empower these communities uh-huh. in terms of you know, access to education, retraining resources, things that long-term are going to make a difference in their lives and their ability to improve them you know, from, you know, on their own terms, in a sense, I guess, um, that doesn't, I, I don't hear enough talk about that. And like just the other day, I was reading an article about a woman paying $900 a month in student loan debt for these, uh, I think they're called parent plus loans uh-huh. that you can take out in addition to your students, you know, federal aid and, and, and different, um, loan programs that, they offer through the government as well as um, uh, private uh, sources or that you have to apply for and have credit, et cetera. At any rate, she makes $55,000 a year. She's paying $900 a month. Her daughter is making $40,000 a year and just got laid off and has $600 a month of her own in student loans. Yeah. And th- those kind of numbers are astounding. Like, th- and that in a country so wealthy, I yeah. guess, in comparison to any other on the globe that people are paying this kind of money for, especially in the age of the internet where we could literally be going online and watching and learning and, you know, through world-class educators. And I like, I don't know, there has to be some way to connect some of those resources of information, et cetera. I don't want to, yeah, Go no, on, I, uh, on, but it, Megan, I think that's those are those yep. are really great points, and it, it gets to the complexity, I think, of uh, of all of these issues. That it's not, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that bothered me about the the president's campaign was the sort of uh, the, the supposed simplicity with which he was trying to address these issues. They are not simple. They are really deeply entrenched, and they have connections to all kinds of dynamics and history and other things in this country and to deal with them you've got to you got to try to try to address those things. So Megan, thank you very much uh, for that call. Let's go to Brad in Waterford. Brad, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you. Uh-huh. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. How are you? Good. Um yeah, I just wanted to comment. Um I have bipolar disorder and I've lived in general poverty since I, you know, basically since I've been an adult and um before Obamacare was paying over a thousand dollars a month, you know, just for my thirty-day supply and medication, uh-huh. uh, doctor's office visits were a couple hundred dollars a month, and I got on Obamacare maybe uh, twelve months ago, eighteen months ago, and everything has been covered. It's been free. It's been easy. Um, well, I shouldn't say free, but you know, in comparison, it's sure. costing me pennies compared to um, where I was. So I'm a little nervous to see what's going to happen, you know, if they just pull the rug out from under all of these people that are benefiting, you know, finally, like I am. Right. Um, you know, and Trump rallied on, you know, we're going to help the people, the, the less fortunate, and give power back to the people. And I'm not sure that his, um, you know, that that's really where his interests lie or yeah. his focus is. Yeah. yeah. But, Brad, I think your your story is an important one that needs to be told, that, yeah. uh, that the quality of your life, your ability to get up, you know, every day and being uh, a member of our society has been improved because of Because of this that. program. Yeah. Yep. No, that matters. So you need to talk uh, about it. Brad, thanks very much for calling in the, and sharing that story. Lauren in Detroit, you're up next on Detroit Today. Hi. Hi. How are you? Um, Go ahead. Good. I'm good. Thank you for having I've, me on I've the got show. About, I this every day. Yeah, I've got about a minute left. So. All right. Quickly. Well, I just wanted to play on the other side of when we're talking about those opportunities, um, where are they going to come from? I'm a student 
no, I just graduated. I paid my way through school, graduated with a STEM degree, um, high GPA. No, I did everything right as far as, you know, the current people in power would say to get the right opportunities, but I don't have those right now, and I'm still depending on Medicaid. Wow. And without yeah. Medicaid, I can't choose the jobs that will further my career in the sciences. I would have to choose a job that would be less productive to further my career. Right. And so, you know, there's a lot of people who don't even have those opportunities that I have. And, you know, where are these opportunities really going to come from when there are people who've created the opportunities from themselves and they're just not there? And where are the opportunities going to come from for the people who didn't have the chance to go to college like I did? And right. that's, that's a big concern of mine is even someone in off in a good position I'm still struggling. So, yeah. Lauren, that is a that is a great story to share with uh, with our listeners. So, I'm really glad you called uh, and did that. Uh, great way to end the show as well. So, Gilda Jacobs, Executive Director of the Michigan League for Public Policy, thanks as always for being here on Detroit today. It's going to do it for me. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>